Welcome to episode 23 of the RSA Resident and Student Podcast Series, a production of the American Academy of Emergency Medicine Resident and Student Association. RSA is an accessible, collaborative organization that fosters innovation, education, and advocacy for residents and students in emergency medicine. In this episode, Dr. Victoria Weston, resident at Northwestern University and a past president of RSA, speaks with Dr. Larry Weiss, professor of emergency medicine at University of Maryland School of Medicine and a past president and one of the founding members of AAEM. Today, Drs. Weston and Weiss go over how to lower your risk when working with difficult patients. Hello, and thank you for joining us for the RSA podcast series. My name is Vicki Weston. I am the immediate past president of RSA, and I'm very fortunate to be here interviewing Dr. Weiss. Dr. Weiss is a founder of AAEM and a past president of AAEM. He's also a current board member. He is a clinical professor of emergency medicine at the University of Maryland. He also has prior experience in law and previously served as a professor at the LSU School of Law. He also has experience practicing law and served as in-house counsel where he litigated and defended many emergency physicians. Dr. Weiss, thank you for being here today to talk with us. And today we're going to be talking about how to lower your risk when interacting with difficult patients. Well, thanks, Vicki. It's my pleasure to be here. Well, thank you for being here with us. Well, this is always an interesting topic, and I'm sure that there's many stories and insights you could share with us. I guess to start with, what are the risks of having a bad patient interaction? You know, a handful of studies have actually shown that angry patients are far more likely to file suit. They're certainly more likely to file a complaint. When any consumer seeks any service and they're satisfied, on average, they tell three other people about it. And when they're dissatisfied, they tell, on average, 11 other people about it. So there's the risk of the, your reputation in the community, and then there's the litigation risk. One of the papers that I initially mentioned came from the OB literature, and obstetricians, along with neurosurgeons, pay the highest uh, medical malpractice premiums, and it showed that angry or dissatisfied uh, obstetric patients were far more likely to file suit. If your patient likes you, it doesn't guarantee anything, but they're far less likely to file the malpractice complaint. But imagine that's particularly challenging for our field where we don't necessarily build those long-term relationships with patients. Not only do we not have the luxury of follow-up and having long-term relationships with patients, but let's face it, we are experts in dealing with difficult people because (laughs) we often take care of patients that no one else ever wants to see. And those are patients that we often see over and over and over again. So we really have advanced expertise in handling difficult patients. And if any emergency physician doesn't develop these skills, they're going to have pretty constant problems clinically. Yeah, you know, people certainly can be difficult in different ways, as we all know from working in the emergency department. Are there any ways that you categorize or subtitle different kinds of challenging people and then in consequence how you deal with them? Probably the least level of difficulty is the rambling conversationalist. You know, if someone, <laughs> if someone comes in with a sprained ankle and you ask about the history and they start in 1949, you know you're going to have a problem. And I always tell my residents, everyone has to breathe and they really can't talk on inspiration. So watch the respiratory cycle. And on inspiration, you can slip in there and try to redirect them. It's easy to redirect people to their current symptoms, especially if they're in pain. Like if you have someone who's going on and on and on, 
and then you try not to interrupt. But, you know, on inspiration, when they're not talking, say, you know, I, I really want to focus on your pain because I want to make you feel better quickly. I've never had that fail once. And sometimes I've had to redirect people two or three times. But focus on why they're in your ED tonight and focus on their current symptoms. And if they're in pain, it's really easy to focus on that. I would say the next highest level of difficulty is the argumentative patient. Some patients are irritated from the time you walk into the room. It might be because they were in the waiting room for eight hours. It might be because they already had a bad interaction with someone else. And the best advice I could give you is to never get sucked into an argument. The Dale Carnegie book is a great book to read, How to Win Friends and Influence People. It was written for business people. It's 100% applicable to our clinical uh, setting. But Dale Carnegie said the only way to get the best of an argument is to avoid it altogether. Think about it. Once you start arguing, you lost. If you get into an argument and you win, the patient's going to be more angry than ever. If you get into an argument and lose, that's not a good outcome either. I could give you a lot of examples. The one example that comes to mind occurred when a reporter from USA Today was following me around on a Christmas Eve. And it was very busy. It was a charity hospital when at the time uh, in New Orleans we were seeing about 300,000 people a year. Very busy place. And we had very good security. And somehow this really big, burly guy got past security. He had me pinned against the wall, and he was angry. And he said to me, my mother-in-law's had low back pain for 20 years, and she needs to be seen immediately. Now, when you analyze what he said, he was wrong about everything. He was totally wrong. Someone with pain for 20 years, I can empathize with, but that's not a priority one triage. Okay, that's someone who had 20 years to deal with the pain. So instead of arguing, try to find some thread of what this person said that you can agree with. So I said, sir, you're right. No one in pain should ever have to wait. But we have a number of people who are dying right now, and we really did. And I said, as soon as we're sure that these people don't die, we're going to see your mother-in-law as soon as possible. And, you know, I had the reporter there from a national newspaper. He was really amazed. The guy said, okay, thank you, walked back to the waiting room. And we actually saw his mother-in-law pretty quickly. But that's just an example. Your gut reaction, you know, the fight or flight response is to snap back at someone like that, or if they're really intimidating, just get as far away from them as you can. So when you act in a non-physiologic manner, and that's the recurring theme in Dale Carnegie's book, you react in a way that people do not expect. You react in a pleasant way. No matter where you're working, your job is not going to be to win argument. You know, you're not going to have an ED director that's going to praise you and give you a raise because you get into more arguments than anyone else and win every time. In fact, you're going to get fired pretty quickly. It's going to be your job to avoid arguments. Briefly, to go through the other stages of severity, the next highest level is the complainer. And someone who files a complaint is just filing a formal argument. You can deal with it in the same way. If they file a complaint to you and not your ED director, it's a great opportunity because maybe you can satisfy them and the complaint won't go any further. Then we have the agitated patient. And when they're agitated, you have to quickly decide if they're violent or nonviolent. If they're agitated and nonviolent, you can certainly apologize even for things that aren't your fault. They might be very angry. 
at a long wait. They might be very angry that they're still in pain. Whatever it is, you can say, I'm sorry you waited so long. We just had so many people here. We're working as hard as we can, but I'm really sorry you waited. And whatever the conflict is that agitated them, most of the time you can resolve it pretty quickly, but always judge the potential for violence. Now, when can you predict that an agitated patient will become violent? Well, if they have a past history of violence, if they have a history of drug or alcohol abuse, or you think they're currently under the influence, someone who lacks social supports, they tell you they live on the street, they have no relatives that can come in and stay with them. If someone is in economic or emotional distress, someone who's in pain has a lower threshold for becoming violent. Hot weather causes violence. You know, if your waiting room is hot and overcrowded, patients are more likely to snap. And this sense of injustice, you know, they're sitting there with their sore throat and they see the ambulance coming in, patient has chest pain, and they go right into the back. And all they know is they've been waiting three hours and the patient rolls right in on the ambulance and they're even more agitated. So if there's a potential for violence, then it's not a good idea to apologize or to blame anyone because that person might become the target of the violent behavior. Get in a position where you're between the patient and the door so you can get out of the room if possible and really in an inconspicuous manner try to call for help. These are not people that you interrupt either. So you usually won't apologize, don't interrupt. If there are other people in the room, clear the room of other visitors. Those are all good measures to contain violent behavior. So that was a really quick overview of dealing with different levels of severity regarding difficult patients. And I think that's a great summary of a very challenging issue. You know, you mentioned that story about how you were working over Christmas and you had the reporter following you, and I felt like that's a very poignant and memorable story. Do you have any other stories where you've turned a challenging interaction into a successful one that we can perhaps learn from today? Well, you know, I've had several hundred cases where people tried to sign out against medical advice, and a lot of these people were agitated or angry, and I would apply the same skills that we just briefly mentioned not to argue. And when you're giving them the reasons why they should stay, you should always focus on patient advocacy issues. I'm concerned about your chest pain. You know, if you went home, I would worry about you. In other words, you're showing that you empathize with the patient. Maybe you just met the patient an hour earlier, but you care about their outcome. You should always tell patients that they can change their mind and come back. You know, you might be working with someone in a busy ED that's happy when someone signs out AMA because you get rid of someone who's difficult. You can bring in someone else from the waiting room, but that's totally the wrong attitude. And I think I've been able to convince many of these people to change their minds by focusing on their symptoms, the fact that they could be potentially dangerous. Another thing to remember is that three quarters of the time, studies have shown this, three quarters of the time, patients are signing out AMA for non-medical reasons. It's not because they disagree with your medical decision-making. Sometimes they're angry because they didn't get enough pain medication, and you can rectify that if they really need analgesia. I had a guy last year who I thought should be admitted to rule out acute coronary syndrome. He wanted to go home because he had to feed his goldfish. So people have things going on in their mind, and they have their own value system, 
for me, that would never be a reason not to get admitted. But this was a nice guy. He had very simple concerns. And he said he had no one else to feed the goldfish. You know, much more often I've had people say, I've got to leave because no one else can pick up my kids from school. You can have a social worker get involved, call, you know, everyone they can think of, see if someone else can get the kids. Sometimes you can resolve the non-medical reason why they want to leave. But as far as thinking of other successes, I think it's a great success whenever I can convince someone not to sign out AMA and to stay in the ED and allow us to do the right thing. And I I think I've been able to do this a, a couple hundred times in the last 38 years. I think that's such a common issue, too. It's, it's people have children or they have an ill family member that they're responsible for or they have a pet like a dog or a cat at home that they're concerned about. And these are always so tough to solve, but it, it sounds like you've had a great success in resolving those situations for a lot of people. So good motivation for all of us to try and fix that, too. I think that this was a great talk. I think we went through a lot today. Just to summarize what we talked about, you know, it seems that angry patients are more likely to sue and there's studies to show that making sure that you are empathetic to patients and trying to redirect people. So we talked about different kinds of challenging people, such as the rambling conversationalists, which is a great description. I really liked Dr. Weiss's advice on making sure that you watch when they take in a deep breath and then at that time saying, you know, I really want to focus on your pain so you can feel better so that you can redirect them, which is, I think, a very kind and thoughtful way. I think the other point about, you know, making sure that you don't get in any arguments and that nobody wins when you start arguing with the patient is a great one for the complainers trying to, you know, fix what they're unhappy about. And then last but not least for, you know, violent versus nonviolent patients, obviously making sure that you're safe if you have someone who has the potential to become agitated and, you know, making sure that you have a way to exit the room. And then for the nonviolent people to apologize when you can to make things better for them. Dr. Weiss, thank you so much for all of the great advice and teaching and appreciate you being on our podcast today. And, and thanks for all your hard work on the RSA board. And I know that we'll see Vicki in the future as one of our AAEM leaders. Well, thank you very much for that nice compliment. Thanks, everyone. And uh, we hope you'll tune in next time. Take care. We hope you have enjoyed this podcast from the American Academy of Emergency Medicine Resident and Student Association. For more information about RSA, please visit our website, www.aaemrsa.org. Listen to all podcasts in this series and explore the ways you can get involved with RSA. Join us again next episode for another topic of importance for emergency medicine residents and students.